Welcome to the CAR Podcast. I'm Brett Smith, Director of Technology at the Center for Automotive Research. This week, we will dive into the rapidly evolving world of automated driver assist systems and automated driving. So stay tuned. Joining me are Edgar Failer, Senior Industry Analyst at CAR, and Trevor Upton. Trevor is Vice President at KeyBank Capital Markets Mosaic. Edgar has been with CAR for about three years, but has spent over 25 years as a technology and financial analyst in the automotive industry. Edgar is a past winner of the Wall Street Journal All-Stars and has a passion, maybe even an obsession with understanding how financial numbers connect to technology development. Welcome, Edgar. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, pleasure to be here. Good to have you. This should be a lot of good stuff today. Trevor Upton is maybe more than anyone I know, one in the middle of this transition, um, at least as an observer. Trevor closely tracks the chip, AI, and automotive sectors, so he's uniquely positioned to bring perspective on how those three very different sectors are approaching automated driving. Trevor, let's start with a little background on your role at Mosaic. Hey, thanks, Brad. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, on KeyBank Capital Markets uh, Mosaic team, we work alongside uh, equity research, which covers the public companies, and investment banking, which uh, works more with late-stage privates and publics. We really focus on uh, kind of trying to unearth the emerging tech that startups are bringing to market that may disrupt both the the tech industry as well as uh, traditional industries. I lead our coverage of automotive, semiconductors, uh, and AI. And as you mentioned, I'm, I'm not an expert on any of those, but I spend a lot of time speaking with the founders, technologists, and executives at the company leading in those areas. And as you mentioned, autonomous driving kind of just sits squarely in the middle of it, which provides a pretty unique perspective to, to watch the industry. I'm very excited to chat today. Yeah, Trevor, you, you do. And having known you for several years and, and the discussions we have, it's remarkable the different directions your work, your job goes, but how it almost always comes back to that AV world. Edgar, how about we start by catching up with current happenings? Seems like there's a lot happening in the ADAS AV world. What's most interesting to you? There's a lot happening, Brett. I think some of the big headlines just this week were really the, the announcement by Ford and, and, excuse me, and Volkswagen to unwind Argo who many amongst the Wall Street sort of investment community had, had, believed was a real leader, uh, one of the top three developers in AV alongside Cruz and Waymo. Um, significant news and uh, happy to you know talk more about that here as we, as, as, we, as we go on. Trevor, how about you? What are you seeing on the AV ADAS side uh, that, that's interesting right now? Well, I think taking a step back, there are a couple of fundamental technical challenges with that autonomous driving needs to overcome and 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 one is fundamentally can deep learning get us there and from from an ai perspective pretty much everyone in the space is building their autonomous systems on a foundation of deep learning which i think may be problematic because with deep learning you don't know what the system learned how it learned it or why it learned it and you can't really know why it made decisions and I think very simplistically, either these systems will be good enough that we won't care that we don't know how they work, or they won't be good enough and we'll care very much that we don't know how they work. And, and that kind of gets to, to the second part of the, the technical challenges is it's all, it's all about the data. 
And a number of, of, of autonomous companies highlight their, their fleet of vehicles as a large competitive advantage for collecting that data. And what's unclear to me is just how much data we need and how achievable it is to effectively brute force autonomous driving. And last year, I think many years into predicting that self-driving was right around the corner, Elon Musk tweeted that, you know, generalized self-driving is a hard problem as it requires solving a large part of real world AI. Didn't expect it to be so hard, but the difficulty is obvious in retrospect. Nothing has more degrees of freedom than reality. And I feel like that, that, that quote really summarizes the challenge of autonomous driving to me. And as for how much data we need, I, th I think it depends on how many nines of reliabilities we're, we're, we're looking for. And it go that goes back to the first part of how good is, is good enough. You know, Edgar's highlighting that it, it feels like companies are increasingly realizing the challenges. So Edgar, from looking at the, the suppliers for a moment, the, the, the traditional tier ones, the, the industry that we've, we've become so familiar with over our careers, um, they've, they're very involved in, in the hardware and, and as Trevor described, some of the, the software and the AI of this. How are investors reacting in, in terms of the delayed timelines or maybe the changing expectations, both with the vehicle manufacturers and the traditional suppliers? Well, uh, Brett, there, I, I think you have to distinguish there are a couple of different types of investors here. There's your traditional auto stock investor, which invests in either uh, auto companies or, and, you know, and auto suppliers. And from the OEM, the reaction just at, to back up at the, the announcement by Ford to unwind this, this uh, Argo, which was consuming, uh, Ford was pumping at about a billion dollars a quarter to support that, you know, development from the investor standpoint for Ford stock has barely moved. It's up 3%. It was up 4% up. At, it's, it's moving for different reasons. I think it's more about interest rates and some other things. I think maybe there's perhaps even in some corners a sigh of relief that some of these things they've been funding uh if if the some of these things is is trevor pointed out around the technology aren't quite there yet if the business case isn't quite is unobvious yet and uh you know these things are are, are highly undeterminate uh is, is is what kind of value would create ultimately to to shareholders uh for you know the other sort of data point we have around the ADAS Mobileye re recently went public, and that stock's down about forty-seven percent since the IPO, and they are considered by many a, a you know a, a benchmark of and in leader in ADAS systems. So, Trevor, you work spend a lot of your time in that that startup finding the new technologies and figuring out. It's a long time to understand but getting those to market, transformational change of the industry to, to really make a difference. Is it too late for early stage investment in this space? Or is this new kind of delayed timeline enabling people to rethink the strategy? How, how does this, you know, five years ago, eight years ago, we saw this enormous investment, right? Um, a lot of it into small startups, a lot of it now later into the big companies. Where does that investment go that goes into this or or is there a different model we see it's a really interesting question um and and to be clear uh i, I i'm not covering the companies from um an investment perspective whether that be kind of vc or banking or on the, the 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 public side of things so i think looking less at the company formation side of it and more at the problems that remain to be solved if deep learning will not get us there we will need a different approach. 
And it's unclear to me where that approach could come from. There's some companies that are doing a lot with transformer models where you need unlabeled data and just gobs of compute. And there, I, I know startups that, that are doing that. From a deep learning perspective, though, it's all about scale. It's all about data. And it's the question is, can you brute force it? And, and that seems like a, a challenging place to be a new entrant. At the same time, that data is already out there from a software perspective. There are suppliers that I think there'd be opportunity. There's always opportunity to do something more innovatively, but it's not obvious where those opportunities are. I appreciate Trevor's perspective because it's 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 a nuanced probably situation where the fact that I mean we've we heard Jim Farley, CEO from Ford, saying that they had explored other investors, other partners to help finance this, and we know that these are at least at the AV system level voracious users of capital, and it doesn't mean that things can't still happen underneath that around in the ecosystem. And as Trevor said, there's there's sort of, I think is alluding to, there's a number of different areas here that are at play, but this is one data point that suggests it's going to be harder to get capital for some of these companies. I don't know if you're seeing that at all, uh, Trevor, but just at the high level, that would suggest it's going to be harder to go in the next couple of years. I would say most of the excitement we see in the space from the the, the newer technologies on, you know, 4D radar and what it can do compared to, you know, relative to LiDAR to, to bring costs down. That there's, there's a lot of interest in the enabling technology that would presumably sell into the autonomous fleets. But from an autonomous, you know, net new autonomous driving startup that's taking the same approach that the others are taking, I think that would be, that seems like it's a, a, a challenging path for the for the reasons we've we've covered. Hey Trevor, you spend a lot of time with the AI sector. You you joined us a couple months ago for a roundtable with mostly traditional automotive folks, and and they seem to to push the idea that there was a lot of this being a a hardware thing. If you put enough hardware on the vehicle, it can work. It was an interesting take, and I think it was a very informed take on their part. Um, throw it out to you. As you've looked at this, obviously not a not an engineer, not even not a technical person, but as you talk to these folks on all these different sides, there's a little different perspective as to whether this is a software issue or a hardware issue. What are your thoughts? Definitely. I, so there's some selection bias here as far as the the the, the types of folks that that, I, that I've spoken to lately. But the the people on the hardware side of the traditional suppliers and OEMs see it as a hardware problem that if you want to increase the ODD, you just need to throw more sensors on it. And, and, and to me, that misses a very large part of really the, the, the core part right now is still the algorithms to me that you, you hear hardware people say that the nice, the beauty of, of autonomous fleets is that once one vehicle encounters a new situation, you can teach the whole fleet and then they will all know how to navigate you know, that edge case. And that suggests that edge cases are an achievable, there's an achievable number of them to encounter to kind of get good enough. And it also, to me, suggests an understanding that the problem is binary, that either you cannot do a thing or you can do a thing. And I think the reality is it's, there's a degree of, there's a probability that you'll do it correctly. You know, for instance, an autonomous fleet in San Francisco, can they navigate unprotected left turns? I think the answer is clearly yes. At the same time, as soon as they started operating with no driver, they get in an accident making an unprotected left turn. It might not have been their fault. It might have been, but it's not whether they can or cannot do a thing. It's 
the 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 confidence that which with which they can do it, which gets again to the to the degrees of you know the the number of nines you know the nines of reliability that that we need that it's not yes or no and that is a nuance that i do not frequently hear from a lot of the hardware folks at the traditional uh, suppliers and oems i speak with edgar you've said mentioned a few times of the, the very visible ford bw argo thing there are other companies that seem to be pulling back some of the startups in some of the areas uh, some of the trucking companies are are rethinking or reshaping or or at least reassessing um but there are some companies that are pushing forward to both of you guys do they know something the rest of the people don't know well there's trevor jumping in uh, on that i i think based on how everyone's like i don't i don't even think this is hyperbole everyone's time frames have been pushed back constantly since the mid 20-teens i think you know, in 2017, Ford said that by 2022, they would be building a car with no steering wheel and no pedals. And, and we see where they are today. Uh, we, we, we mentioned, you know, Elon Musk's tweet about it being a, a harder problem than he thought. And I think those are some very public comments that it is harder than expected. So, so Trevor, we've been working here at CAR at a roadmap for AV and ADAS. And uh, my associate Naseeb has been really frustrated because a roadmap is supposed to be looking forward, right? What are What is the industry? What are the experts saying about looking forward? And we've done this roadmap. I think this is the third time we've kind of looked at this, this idea. And the first two times were pre-pandemic, probably the last time is 2018, early 2019. And there were lots of forecasts for pretty rapid pickup in, in application. They were wrong but there were lots of forecasts out there. Naseeb has been very frustrated as he's tried to create this roadmap, this vision, because no one is making promises anymore. No one is saying, we're gonna get there soon. You see a lot of people saying to your quote on uh, from Milan, you know, this is a lot harder than we thought. It's a challenge. Edgar, how do the suppliers, the traditional suppliers who have invested a lot of money on both on their own interest and on the nudging of their their customers, the vehicle manufacturers, how do they get through this downturn, delay? What's kind of the investment strategy for these companies going forward? I'd offer a couple of thoughts here, Brett. I think some of the answers we will find around the roadmap as we update that, we're going to find more nuanced answers. I think it's going to depend on the ultimate use case as to what we could see potentially three or four different timelines and not being, it's going to bifurcate a bit and again, highly dependent on, on use case. Maybe it's not robo-taxi necessarily first, but some other areas around you know, heavy truck or some other very specific applications. Secondly, to answer your question around suppliers, many of the traditional auto suppliers have bet heavily on level two and three already because that's where the volume is and that's where they uh, their expertise is often in, in commercializing the technology and uh, integrating it into a vehicle. And so many of them have from been very from day one have been very vocal about that as part of their strategies. So uh, I don't know that it'll hap- have an impact on some of the traditional auto suppliers as much as one might think. Uh, but if you are one of the new tech suppliers, a LIDAR company, you know, uh, you're going to get a different answer, I suspect. And maybe I can jump in quickly just on, on, the, on the time frame, maybe looking at it from an AI perspective of, of, of 
some of the things that that led to those expectations and and maybe where we are today that one of the ways I think about it that deep learning kind of revolutionized computer vision the cloud enabled ubiquitous access to data GPUs being applied to deep learning really accelerated what we could do with the compute and the data that we had and it it, it, it feels like we kind of on the on the s curve of autonomous driving capabilities it felt like kind of the mid to late 20 teens we were rapidly on the exponential kind of upward swing of, of, of improvements. And I think everyone thought that by the time we kind of leveled off, we'd be leveling off at, a le- at, at something that was good enough, whatever that is. And I think that what, the reality that we're finding is we're, we're leveling off at something that is not good enough. And, and now we're kind of asymptotically approaching that. And the timeframes have gone from years to unknown. Trevor, you and I have had, and Edgar, we've all had discussions over the last couple of years, five years maybe, of of where does ADAS and AV fit in the technology continuum and, and how do you develop one or the other or does one lead to the other? Edgar, your points I think are really relevant on, on the suppliers being very focused early on on ADAS because they could get some volume. They could get some things on cars, which at the end of the day is really kind of important. Eh? Trevor, you've kind of have an interesting perspective on on this two point or two plus level or level somewhere between level two and level three in terms of the value for the customer talk about that for a moment so kind of jumping to the the the, the, the conclusion my, my bias is that level two plus only adds value if you misuse it and 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 how i i'm 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 getting there and this is something, an idea that I'm, I'm, I'm constantly bouncing off of people. It's partly because I want people to push back and tell me I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. But people tell me it helps and I ask them why it helps. And they say because it removes some of their, their tasks, some of their responsibilities from driving, which to me speaks to the fact that they're trusting the system. And anything less than level three, by definition, is not trustworthy that the human is always in control. And so kind of at a fundamental layer, I don't, I don't know how the human can remain in control while also offloading tasks. I think that's overly simplistic. I, I don't think that's actually true. At the same time, I think people are misusing these level two plus systems. And it, it, it feels like, again, uh, my, my bias is that driver monitoring will have to be implemented because of the consequences of these systems being misused. And if the driver must pay attention which presumably includes watching the road, then it's unclear to me how much value it, it's actually adding. We, we know that supervising an autonomous system is more tiring and more challenging than doing the task of being automated. So if you're automating the system but requiring the driver to still have the same cognitive load, where are we adding value? And I think maybe, maybe going back to what what... Edgar was highlighting about Ford and VW moving away from from Argo. Jim Farley talked about eyes off solutions that they want to to offer drivers in the the near term. And to me, I initially thought level three was a terrible idea because it's essentially the system is in control until it doesn't know what to do. And then it's here back to you, driver, without necessarily any kind of a handoff, which just sounded seemed crazy. But as I see the kind of traffic jam assists that are being deployed, it, it seems kind of compelling that if you don't have to pay attention during a traffic jam, that sounds potentially really nice. And what's, what's unclear to me is the extent that that's a technical solution 
where the system is actually getting better, or if it's a liability solution where OEMs are simply willing to say, it's good enough that if it doesn't work, we'll foot the bill. And to, to, to me, that's, it's, it's a really interesting development. And Trevor, I think as you, you described this, the, trying to figure out the companies, the, trying to figure out the technology and trying to figure out the niche, it's been interesting that, that you've heard um, a couple of vehicle manufacturers in particular talk about level three being un, unreliable, unattainable because of that handoff. That, 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 um, but increasingly, and I noted Jim Farley's comments on the recent announcement, where he's talking about eyes off um, technologies. And you see more and more of them maybe realizing that level four, and maybe in a minute we can come back to ODD on level four and figure out what the heck that is. Um, but level four is not necessarily a near-term thing. So how do we repackage or how do we transition to something that's valuable, saleable, and um, helpful? And maybe that that level two plus to level three becomes that that sweet spot for them to chase going forward. Hey, Edgar, what's necessary to get a higher adoption rate for two plus or level three? Brett, this is a tremendous opportunity for the automakers and and a challenge yet uh, to increase uh, consumer adoption for level two and a move from two to two plus, three, et cetera. And I just give a shout out to Greg Brandon and AAA for some of the consumer research they've done, suggests that the automakers still have a long way to go and uh, room for improvement in their existing, integrating their existing level two uh, systems. So they've got to get some of these things right or they risk a losing confidence, of, you know, of, or consumers losing confidence, which will ultimately slow some of that adoption curve potentially. Trevor? Uh, on the AV side, consumer perceptions, experiences, et cetera, how is that going to change things or move forward? It's a great question. And from a, kind of from a society perspective, a customer acceptance perspective, having already established that I'm not an expert in what we were already talking about, I'm even more out of my depth here, but I, I, wa- I want to maybe ex- explain my perspective uh, from an AI angle. And and this may be oversimplifying a bit, but every every human caused accident is a one off. While any problem with an autonomous system is potentially endemic to the, to the whole fleet, and that changes the scale of the risk. And thinking about it from a, a consumer acceptance perspective, I think this is is really going to matter. Is an example an article last month highlighted eleven recent deaths where partially autonomous systems were in use. Four of them were motorcyclists, and the article noted that the deaths of motorcyclists and crashes involving vehicles using automated driving. Uh, driver assist systems uh, have been increasing. Now, four deaths out of 48,000 a year is obviously a tiny drop in the bucket, but it raises the question of whether there's a systemic risk and is four out of 11 alarming? And, and I'm not sure, but it feels like more transparency on why systems are failing, I think, may be important to society and regulators' acceptance of them. And that leads to kind of my last big concern is that regardless of how good we get, there will be failures and people will die. Uh, a deserved amount of attention is given to the ability to save lives from autonomous systems that are you know, better than humans. But you know, put better in, in quotes for a moment that autonomous driving will fail differently than than humans fail. And f- from a society perspective, it won't just be the numbers of people who die, but it'll be different people dying in different ways. And we're painfully familiar with drunk drivers killing people and drivers falling asleep behind the wheel. While we're less familiar with how people will die when autonomous systems fail. And maybe society will be okay with it. Maybe not but I, I don't think we've seen enough tragedies which which is a good thing 
Um, but but it's unclear how it will play out. And I think that will tie back into Edgar's comment about consumer acceptance of these systems. Edgar and Trevor, this this has been really good stuff. I enjoyed these conversations every time I have them with you too. It's just a lot of stuff there. We could go on for hours. We probably can't go on for hours, but we could go on for hours. Um, kind of a summary or a closing. First, Trevor, I'm going to go a little off script here. You work with, you, you talk to, you connect with the AI folks, the chip folks, and the auto folks. In 30 seconds or less, or maybe a little more, what does each not understand about the other in this discussion? Fascinating question. First of all, I think I personally am very excited about autonomous driving, which probably didn't come through totally clearly. I think the timing is, 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 is unclear. I think that from the chipset perspective, the, the, the folks that are building the systems into the, the vehicles don't fully understand the driving, the driving task, everything involved in driving. Um, I think the, the auto people don't necessarily understand the, the challenges from an AI perspective, the limitations of data. Uh, from an AI perspective, that's interesting. The people that come mostly from the AI angle are the most cautious on this. That it, 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 it feels like what you can actually do with AI is maybe where there's the, the, the least amount of certainty or, 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 or it feels like to the extent there is overconfidence from the semis side or the auto side, it might be on what we can do with, with, with AI. And honestly, all of my concerns might be overblown. We might get a breakthrough tomorrow, but, but I, I think that's kind of how I, I think about the. I always say, Trevor, technology develops in the auto industry very slowly until it doesn't. Then it develops very fast. And that moment is so hard to predict. The, the only thing I would add to that is Jim Farley's quote last week, that they, they no longer expect something to happen quickly, which is a change for them. Edgar, you recently bought a new car. It has a whole bunch of ADAS technology on it. What do you think? Uh, to be frank, Brett, it doesn't work as well as I had hoped it would. Um, and so this is part of what colors my, you know, my judgment. I have, I, I won't name the, you know, the vehicle or, or make, but it has some of the latest, uh, uh, you know, ADAS on it. And um, it gets confused and gives me back, you know, control several points in, in a single commute in one direction to or from work. And I know that that's not acceptable. Uh, I'm willing to, as I'm willing to try it, use it. I'm an early adopter in, in maybe in some ways, but it's in order to get mass appeal, it's, it's not quite there yet. So Edgar, that's a perfect lead in maybe next time or sometime soon, we'll bring Greg Brannon from AAA and talk about their tests and such, because there's a lot of fabulous technology here. Uh, there's still some huge challenges. Trevor, Edgar, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun and thank you all for listening. Have a great day.